Great to be with you this morning as we continue through our series through Titus, the gospel in real life. Um, this has been really encouraging uh, for me and I hope for you as well. Just thinking about the book of Titus and Paul's instruction to a young leader there and trying to get a church um, in a Cretan culture on its feet. Um, today, uh, we'll be moving into chapter 2. And uh, the title of this morning's sermon is Faithfulness in the House of God. Faithfulness in the House of God. Let me pray for us one more time and we'll get started today. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come together as your redeemed people, to worship you, to adore you, to behold you high and lifted up. And God, I pray that we will be changed by your presence God, I pray that you would help us uh, now as we hear your word through the Apostle Paul. God, I pray that you would um, just incline our hearts to your truth, that you would help us, God, to be faithful in your house as sons and daughters of God Most High, that you would help us, God, to be a church that adorns the gospel, Lord, in a Cretan world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Titus chapter 2. And so as we've said many times now, um, Paul has left the book, uh, left Titus uh, in Crete to, um, to uh, get the fledgling church there uh, in order. And that was a high calling and big responsibility for this young man. And one of his first jobs was to appoint elders, wise men, mature men, sober-minded men who are holy, humble, and self-controlled, sound in doctrine, who could defend the faith, who could be a model of godliness, and who could help uh, guide the church and, and keep the church pure and keep it grounded in the truth. Okay, such men were needed because already in the church they were self-appointed, as we saw last time, Jewish Cretan teachers who not only wanted to distort the truth in a Judaizing way, but they were also more Cretan than they'd like to admit. So they seemed to be Jewish in theology, but Cretan in personality. And it really wasn't working out. They were destabilizing the faith of entire households. And Paul tells Titus, you need to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so that's the job of the church. And that's the job of uh the church in general, and, and elders and leaders in particular, okay? And so after that instruction there, Paul, we see, has better hopes for the rest of the, of the church there in Crete, but he wants to give them instructions about how to live authentic Christian lives in the Cretan culture. How do we live faithfully in the household of God? That's what we want to talk about this morning from Titus chapter 2. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity. 
dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The Word of God. You may be seated. Okay, so we're going to look at this passage under three headings this morning. Number one, living in God's house. Living in God's house. Number two, modeling God's ways. Modeling God's ways. And number three, adorning God's gospel. Adorning God's gospel. First, we're going to talk about living in God's house. So, um, as you look at this passage, Paul gives what many understand to be a household code. Okay, a Christian household code. Now, there are many such codes in in the ancient times, and the Romans had what they considered their household code. And many of the virtues which Christians should aspire to were, in fact, shared by the, the Romans. Though not, they didn't necessarily live up to all of them, they, they did consider these many of what Christians call virtues as virtues. Okay, Of course, the Christian household code was different in the fact that as Christians we have a markedly theological aim. We're not just trying to run a proper household to be a good citizen of society. We're trying to honor God and adorn the gospel in everything we do, and that begins in the home. And so that's what he's saying. And and not only that, but of course, as, as, as children of God, we are members of the household of God. And so what Paul essentially is saying is that if we are members of the household of God, there are ways that we must behave. That, that, that are fitting to those who belong to the house of God, to the people of God. And so, um, in contrast then to those false teachers that we talked about there at the end of chapter 1, he turns at the beginning of chapter 2 to Titus and he says, But as for you, unlike these guys over here, Titus, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, so, so in other words, Paul conceives that the remainder of these instructions is behavior that accords with sound doctrine. That is, if you know and believe sound doctrine, there's a certain behavior that fits with that, that accords with that. And so if you have sound doctrine, that should li- that should lead to sound living. And so that's what Paul is telling Titus, is that he needs to teach the Cretans what accords with sound doctrine. There is sound doctrine, and then that sound doctrine demands a certain way of life. Okay? The word sound there, as we said before, is an important word for Paul in this passage. He uses it several times, and it's a, it's a word of, it's a, it's a word about health. Okay? It means healthy. Okay? The word sound means healthy. So there's a healthy doctrine that leads to healthy behavior. There is an unhealthy doctrine that leads to unhealthy spiritual life and unhealthy behavior. Just as your physical life is characterized by certain behaviors and attitudes, a healthy physical life is, so is a healthy spiritual life. Okay? And so he commands Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. So if you have healthy doctrine, you should have healthy behavior. The two go hand in hand. Okay? And he should carry himself um, in this way. All right, so these are the instructions then that Titus, or through Paul, is supposed to give to the church in Crete. And notice here that he gives age-graded instructions and male and female Instructions, because he understands that there's there's differences there. Okay, first he addresses older men, and so for Paul, older men would probably be somebody forty-ish or older. Okay, that's probably who he has in mind. All right, so pay attention. <laughs> All right, here we go. 
It's a long list, and so we can't talk about everything in detail, but we're just going to try to go through it quickly. First, he says that older men should be sober-minded and self-controlled. Okay? These two ideas overlap, and they mean temperate or balanced. It means not given to excess or overindulgence. And it can refer specifically to temperance in the use of alcohol. Okay? So sober-minded sober and self-controlled. Okay? Dignified, the word dignified there means honorable or venerable. Honorable or venerable. It can even mean serious-minded or seriousness. The overall picture then of a mature Christian man, so hear me now, the overall picture of a mature Christian man is somebody who exercises total control over himself. He is not controlled by his desires. He is not controlled by his passions. He is not controlled by his substance. He is not controlled by his circumstances. He is in control of himself. He is master of himself because he's mastered by Jesus Christ. He is mature. He is sober-minded. He is dignified. Okay? He's dignified, which again means honorable or venerable. That means he has, he has a humble, restrained dignity. He is somebody who, he is kind of like, remember Job talked about there was a time before all the hardships fell on him that when he basically showed up at the gate, uh, everybody stood up. Because Job walked into the room. You're to be a kind of man who even if people disagree with you, your behavior and your character and the dignity with which you carry yourself commands respect. Okay, and so that's, that, that's who he's calling older men to. And that's who we should strive as all men to be such men of such character. That we're dignified in what we do. We don't, we don't act impulsively. We don't shoot off at the mouth. We're restrained where you have a humble dignity and self-control. Sober-mindedness in what we do. Further, he says that mature Christian men are to be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. There's that, there's that word sound again. It's healthy. Okay? In our faith, he says, sound in faith, that means not weak, not immature, not squishy. There are, peop- there are people who are squishy, right? They, they, when, it, when it comes to their faith, all right, they're easily pressured by the world, by the world, by the culture, by society, by other people's opinions. All right, but a mature Christian man isn't supposed to be that sound in faith. Okay, in love, there should be, we should be men. Godly men should be men who are characterized by the love of God and by the love of other people. All right, and then he says, sound in steadfastness. That means we should not be easily shaken. We should be firm. Right? If you, godly men, we should be the bedrock of our homes and our families. All right, we should be people who are solid. That look, we should. Like, like, you know, uh, how's that song go? Lean on me when you're not strong. <laughs> I'll be your friend, right? Well, there's people who lean on other people, and then there are people who are leaned on. If you're going to be a godly Christian man, for those in your sphere of influence, you need to be the solid bedrock that other people who are weak can lean on you because you're strong in the Lord. You need to be, you need to be, you need to be the, the firm foundation for your home on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You're not easily shaken. You're steadfast. You're steadfast. You're immovable. Circumstances doesn't, don't affect you. The culture doesn't cause you to bend. You hold fast to Christ because Christ is holding fast to you. So that's this picture of this older man that Paul is painting for the church. And he's, and he's saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to live in a way that accords with the truth of Jesus Christ, this is the man you should strive to be within the culture that you're embedded. Right. The next thing he talks about is older women. It says that here that they are to be reverent. Okay, uh, this is a great word. 
it means, the word means uh, uh, suitable for temple work. Suitable for temple work. It's a posture that is characterized by sacred duties. Uh, what one commentator said, I just think is so beautiful. He says that this word, uh, quote, pictures a priestess carrying out her sacred duties with devotion and responsibility. I love that. It's this image that an older woman, an older woman car- considers herself and carries herself as a priestess. And she considers everything she does as a sacred duty and holy devotion to the Lord. And that's how she carries herself. She's reverent. She's not a slanderer, Paul says, or slave to much wine. Again, so all these things, you know, they, they overlap. He's saying the same things, but in different ways, right? So a slanderer is someone who has no control over their words, right? And speaks evil. And so opposite of that would be controlled. And the same thing with slaves to much wine. We're not to be enslaved to anyone, but control ourselves. Controlled in words, controlled in consumption. Okay, and this should be true of everybody and older women. Um, there's lots of things that can control us today. And it's not just wine or alcohol or drugs. Okay, and some people are prone to, to different things. But, but we should not be enslaved to anything. We could be enslaved to, to, to other people's opinions. We can be enslaved to TV shows and social media and Instagram and TikTok and Pinterest and you name it. You can be enslaved to those things. You can just be flipping your screen all day. All right? You don't, you know, you, you can be out there and just just be absorbed in something totally that doesn't matter. Okay? And so we should be in control of ourselves. Older women need to be, Paul says, in control of ourselves. Then he says that they need to teach the younger ones. By teaching what is good, they are to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Okay, so this is a responsibility of older women. So I want you to just think about this. If you're an older woman and you've walked with Jesus for a long time, Paul is telling you that you need to be investing in younger women. And the word train there, now get this, the word train is uh, actually probably has more of a corrective force than a neutral one. The word can mean to restore one's senses or, or, or even something like wake them up or give them a wake up call. Okay, and so it turns. And so, in other words, go figure, right? As a younger woman, it might not always be easy to love your husband and your children. So, guess what? You might need an older woman to come alongside you and say, "Hey, God's going to help you do this. We're going to do this." But what is it? It's accountability. Right? It's investing in one another. It's discipleship is what it is. Paul expects that if we are older and mature in the faith, we should be intentional about investing our lives into the lives of other people. Yes, even with corrective force. All right? So, I mean, and, and you know, you know, there was a time, you know, this is totally, it has nothing to do with anything, but uh, you, have you noticed that most new houses don't have front porches? Have you ever noticed that? Because there was a day when the way the community functioned was everyone would sit on their porch and everyone would hang out on the porch and the whole family and the whole community would be together and you would have those conversations. But now everyone is so isolated, so privatized, and you have all these 
women and young women who go to these books and to Twitter accounts and to blog posts to learn how to mother because there's no older women present in their life saying, here, let me show you how. And so this is an opportunity for the church to be the church and say, hey, look, look, I've been there. Let me help you. And walk through and teach and train and disciple as the church is called to do. That's older women and young Paul goes on to say young women need to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Okay, so again, Paul is likely critiquing the indulgent Christian culture here. They're to be uh, self-controlled and exercise purity. And so clearly there he's referring to faithfulness to one's spouse. Okay, they, they must exercise self-restraint over sinful desires and impulses, just like everybody else. He's, he's kind of beating the same drum here. Okay, working at home there essentially means managing the household. All right, so in ancient times, this was typically the wife's responsibility. If you've ever tried to manage a household, it's not easy. It's not easy. Okay, and so that's what he's talking about. All right, he, he might be speaking against the stereotype of a busybody, a woman who is always in and out to get the latest scoop. And did you know that you don't even have to go outside your house to get the latest scoop now because you can just whoop. Pop open your phone and booyah, find out what everybody's doing. Find out what your next door neighbor had for supper last night. All right? Find out where they're going on vacation. You can find out everything. You don't even have to leave the house. All right? To get the latest scoop. All right? But he, he, he describes here women as being managers of the home. In high school, I took a home economics class. You heard that right. I took home ec. Pastor, why did you take home ec in high school? I'll tell you why. Because it was one of the few classes where you get to eat in class. <laughs> I'm not as dumb as I look, y'all. But why take? But but why? Well, you learn about budgeting. That's kind of important in life. That's a skill that a lot of people don't have. About managing a family, managing a household. All right, meal planning, cooking, little things that can make life a lot easier with a little planning and a little intentionality, but you have to be taught to do that, right? That's important. Those things are important things that, frankly, are not highly prized in society today. Today's society has trivialized things like homemaking and managing a home as trivial and unimportant and uh, devaluing. But I just want to say probably one of the greatest one of the reasons that our country is going the direction it is is because of the disintegration of the home because the home has taken second priority to everything else. Amen. So maybe we would be way better off if we had prioritized the home and say, you know what, maybe the most important thing you can do is make sure your home is in order. And you're taking care of your home, you're taking care of your discipling your children, and you're being there and you're showing up. And you're being intentional about the way that your home is so that your home is a place of worship, is a place of rest, is a place of service. It's not just a place where we all go to sleep so we can go and do what's really important. Your home is important. And that's what he's saying. Look, I'm not saying that every mom has to be a stay-at-home mom, but let me tell you this. Your coworkers and your boss probably won't be there at your deathbed. But your children and your husband will. Prioritize what really matters. Working at home, he says, and then submissive to husbands. <clears throat> of course, this always needs a sermon all about self. But let me just say this. Let me just say this. Just because the culture thinks something is wrong or backwards doesn't mean that it is. 
And there's a lot of people, and, and I feel this tension as a pastor, but I just want to say this. There's a, there's a lot of people that when they get to this text, all they seem to be able to do with it is to apologize for it and say, I don't know why that, or I'm sorry that that's in the Bible, but hey, it's just in there. It's just what it is what it is. Look, God is not ashamed of his commands. He's not. He's not ashamed that he says this. If God designed it to work a certain way and, I'm a, and I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm a follower of God, my first gut reaction to sub, wives be submissive to your husbands should be God must have a good reason for that. And he does. That's how he created it. That's how he ordered it. We should think as Christians first. Okay? When, and when culture and Christ collide, if you are a Christian, you should choose Christ 100 out of 100 times. Okay? And so let me just say this. God designed the family consistently in the New Testament. Okay? It always refers back to Genesis and said that God created the man first and then Eve. He created Eve out of the man. Okay? And then he brought them back together in marriage so that the two become one flesh. So husband and wife then are equal in value and dignity and worth always, but that there is an order in which he had created it. The man first and then the woman to be his helper. And so that means that in the, in the family and in the, in the, the family and in the church, that men bear the leadership roles within those two, within those entities, and that they're the ones that are going to be held ultimately accountable by God for how those two things are run. So when Eve was deceived by the serpent and gave some to Adam, who was there and didn't do anything about what was happening, and God showed up, who did he, who was he looking for? Adam, not Eve. He was looking for Adam. Where are you? And so when a wife is submissive to her husband, what she's doing is she is acknowledging that her husband is the one who God's going to come to first and say, why did your family turn out the way it did? It's his responsibility. And so in life and in marriage, when, 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 when life happens, you work together. You are one flesh. You work together. You make decisions together. It doesn't mean the wife's a doormat, but it does mean that as you work together, when, when decisions are made, at the end of the day, the husband is finally accountable before God for the direction that household takes. And we live in cognizance of that in our marriages. Okay? And it's a holy stewardship. And yes, this passage has been abused by wicked and sinful men. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong. And you can rest assured that every man there will be a hot place in hell for men who abuse and neglect their wives and their children. Just saying it. We're accountable to God, all right, for the way we lead our families. All this, Paul says, is so that the word of God may not be reviled, may not be reviled, right? Paul is very concerned in this culture that the way the Cretan church lives is going to what? It's going to reflect the gospel to the people who are watching them. And people are always watching. And so Paul's concern is that there's a certain way to live in the household of God so that when we live in such a way, people will see the glory and the beauty of the gospel. Look, we have a, there is an unbelievable opportunity here because as the society continues to break down and as families continue to break down, a, a functioning, healthy, working family where people actually love each other will become a unicorn. And when you invite people into your home and they say, oh my gosh, you don't fight every day? You actually love one another? Your hus- you, actually put one in- you actually put other people in your family in front of yourself? 
You actually serve one another and you invite people into your home and they've never seen that in their entire life? It's going to be remarkable, powerful witness and testimony. You'd be amazed at somehow some people live because they don't know Jesus. But we can show them the beauty of Christ and how he changes our lives and that could be attractive to them, to the glory of Christ. All this so that the word of God may not be reviled. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be trampled out and, and thrown, uh, under people, thrown, and trampled, thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the point is, is that we have an opportunity for good or for ill in the way that we live out our Christian lives. Finally, he says that the young men need to be self-controlled. And you may wonder, why does he have the shortest amount of instructions for young men? <laughs> you ever wondered that? Well, honestly, I just think it's because Paul assumes that everything that he said already applies to, to, the, to the young men, especially what he said about the older man. All right? But in this case, by mentioning self-control again, right, he's pointing out, he's making a point of emphasis with young men that they can be uh, easily controlled by their passions, their desires, and their impulses. There is a reason why insurance for younger men is higher than for anybody else. Because statistics don't lie. Okay? So young men need to be self-controlled. They need to take that as a point of emphasis of exercising control over themselves, their impulses, their desires. Okay? And so there is a way then to live in God's house. It is to live sober-minded, self-controlled, dignified, right? It is to carry yourself in such a way that people can see what you believe and that you really believe it. And see, there's a, bit, there's, that's a, there's a big difference because lots of people say they believe things, but people know what you believe by the way you live it out. And so we are to live our lives in such a way that people not only see what we, not only see what we believe, but they know that we believe it. And at that point, when you live such a life like that in dignity, and in self-control and sober-mindedness, even people who don't agree with you will respect you. So that they have nothing evil to say about the word of God on our account. And that's what Paul is, is getting at here. There's also this principle, again, of investing and pouring our lives into other people. This is something for all of us to think about. It's intentional. It's intentionality. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you have nothing to give to the next generation. It's satanic, it's demonic, and it's not true. The, the next generation needs the truth desperately, and they need it right now. And God has put people in your influence who are younger than you, who you can invest in and pour their lives into. And yes, it can make them comfortable, and, 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 but that, that's the whole point. We need to work on building those relationships, building those, those, those opportunities where you can speak. Look, I'm a young pastor. The truth is, here's the, here's the truth. Because of my age, there are some things that I just shouldn't say to somebody older than me. But if you're older, guess what? There are things that you can say to somebody younger than you, and guess what? They'll receive it. That They would never listen to me, but they would listen to you because you've been there. You've done that. Okay? You have influence. You have clout. You have experience. Use it. Wield it for kingdom work. Be intentional about it. Pray about it. Ask God. Ask God. God, who can I be, who can I be pouring into and investing in? 
for, king, for kingdom purposes, for kingdom work. What we need right now more than anything is mature, godly, courageous men and women of God training the next generation how to think like a Christian, how to live like a Christian. Just as, just as what Paul is doing here, right? He's concerned for this Cretan church. He's concerned that they're going to be overwhelmed by the, the Cretan culture. And Paul says, look, Titus, get in there and do the work. And teach what accords with sound doctrine, so that the word of God may not be reviled. We need each other. That's the point, right? We need each other to push each other higher and, and deeper into the faith. Right? So that's, that's not something that happens automatically. It's just not something that, that we can do on our own. It, God's appointed means is the people of God. We are God's appointed means to help other people mature in the faith. And so we need to do it. Number one, living in God's house. Number two, modeling God's ways. Modeling God's ways. We see this in verse 7. Paul now turns to Titus specifically and says to him, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, same words again, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And so, so clearly he's, just, he's turning from speaking to about people in different stations in life to Titus particularly, right? And he's, and he's just telling Titus, look, Titus, if you're going to be the person that God's calling you to be here to instruct them and to teach them and to help this church gain a firm foundation, then that is going to demand something of you. You're going to have to model these things that you are calling the people to. So it's a charge for every Christian leader. All right, he's giving him a personal charge. You must show them what it's like to be a Christian. Right? We should live in such a way that other people can look at our lives and say, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. And that's our lives. And this, and this, why it's so important is because we, people learn better almost than anything else. People learn by example. Right? People learn by example. And so, unfortunately, in our lives, we only tend to rise as high as the best example we've ever seen of something. That, that's, kind of like, that's kind of like the ceiling, right? If your father figure wasn't an especially good father figure, but that's the only father figure that you've ever seen, you might want to be a better father than your father was, but you don't know how because you've never seen it. You don't know what it looks like until one day you see someone who models being a father in a way that you have never seen before, and now for the first time in your life, you realize there's a height that can be attained that you didn't even know existed. And so now you have another goal, a new aim to shoot for that's taking you higher than you thought could be. And God, in his mercy, will do that in our lives. He will put people in our lives who are examples of faith and love and godliness in ways that we've never seen before. And it can happen for people. It can happen. That's why I encourage you to read biographies. Read biographies of the great saints of the past and you will learn, you will learn that there are heights of obedience and faith and courage and relationship and intimacy with God that we didn't even really know existed. But they're there and they can, they're up for the grabs if we're willing to pursue them. We learn by example. And so we have an opportunity to model godliness to one another, to help others grow, to do like the apostle Paul said, right? Which is, it's, it's just, it should be something that we all strive for, 
to be able to say, like Paul did, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? I don't. <laughs> that's a hard. That's hard to say. But you can only say that if what? If you're walking so closely with Christ that you can really say, imitate me, because I'm imitating Jesus. We should strive for that. Titus was to show integrity, dignity, and sound speech in his teaching. All right? We know, we know more today, uh, more than ever, just about, about the power of words. One tweet, one Facebook post, one snap, one TikTok, one whatever it is. Okay? Through the internet, the entire world becomes the audience of your words. And one such saying that you made 12 years ago can ruin you. It's just a brute fact. And the truth is, is that we live in a day, I mean, things are, design, things are designed for disaster, right? Y'all know that, right? A tweet can only be like 240 characters. That's it. Well, how much can you say in 240 characters? Not a lot. And so you can't nuance it, you can't, you can't give every possible contingency, and guess what? Even if you tried, it would be so long, people wouldn't read it. Because people don't care. Right? And so we have the greatest amount of access to the greatest amount of information that has ever existed in human history, and people's attention spans are so short, they learn nothing. And so we have to be very guarded with our words. That's what he says. Integrity and dignity and sound speech in our teaching. All right? We got to be careful about our words. We got to beware crude, glib, and coarse talking. There's a scripture on that. We should speak differently from the world. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it. I'm going to say that one more time. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it. And some things, and if you, if you have just the slightest, teeniest, 0.001% of a twinge right before you click post, don't post it. Just don't. If you're not 100%, it's God's will for you to post that, don't post it. If we must say hard things, we, and we will, we should say them with kindness, with humility, sincerity, and grace. Dignified people, or this, it's that word he keeps using, dignified. Dignified people speak in a dignified way. And we should do everything with dignity, with a certain weight and respectability and trust. Again, that people might not agree with, but they should be able to respect. So living in God's house, modeling God's ways, and finally, adorning God's gospel. We'll be super brief here because we've, we've talked about... Um, all these things at length already. But he says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So again, he's doing what? He's going through everybody in just about every station of life that you can imagine and say, look, whatever station in life that you find yourself in, you can live in such a way that adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is important, right? And so I don't think Paul is condoning slavery or servitude here, but he is acknowledging it as a reality, which it very much was. There was multitudes and multitudes of slaves in the Roman Empire of all different kinds of, of, of servitude, okay? 
But he's saying that if you are in that situation, even that situation does not prevent you from honoring God in that situation. And it's profound and it's deep. Because you can, even in a situation like that, honor and adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ by being well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not, not stealing, right? Showing all good faith. So that in everything they adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. You know, the, the obvious um, kind of parallel in our day would be the way you carry yourself at work, right? Christians should be the best employees. Christians should be faithful. Christians should be trustworthy, right? So that what? So that in everything, we adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. That's, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. We have this truth. Paul says in jars of clay, right? We have this truth. Jesus Christ lived, he died, he rose again, he's coming back. All who repent of their sins and trust in him will be graciously, freely forgiven of their sins by God Almighty and adopted into the household of God. But when you become part of the household of God, you got to change. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel does change. It changes you so that you can live in the household of God. So that what? So that our lives adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And no, not everyone will get it. And no, you could be the best person that you could possibly be, and that doesn't mean everyone's going to fall on their face and worship Jesus. But it does mean that as we do it, we adorn the doctrine of our gospel, and not all, but some will see our lives and say, something's different about them. They really believe what they say they believe. And so whether we're old or young, man or woman, whatever situation or station we find ourselves in at li- in our lives, we must commit that in everything we do, we show Jesus to be beautiful with our lives. And I'll tell you something, that, that it, it just it makes a world of difference because people are looking. People are looking more than they've ever looked before. And look, let me tell you something. We, again, we live in a day right now, today, where people just people want to believe the worst about everybody. And the truth is, is the world we live in today, there's no, this is our opportunity, right? Because we know forgiveness. The world doesn't understand forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. You mess up, you're canceled. That's it. Game over. In the church of God, it's different. But we must be careful before an onlooking world to say, to, to, to not give any occasion for the name of God to be slandered. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, let's adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to think about what it means to live as a member of the household of God. First thing, God, is I just, we want to thank you for bringing us in for bringing us home, for forgiving us of our sins, and God, and for changing us. I know, Lord, that we are not who we one day will be, but I thank you with my whole heart that we're not who we used to be. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to change us and to sanctify us so that we would live faithfully as members of the household of God And I would pray that as we do that, God, you would help us to adorn the doctrine, the gospel 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us that as we live out our lives, people would see in us how good and beautiful and true that you are. And so, God, I pray that you would just give us opportunities in the coming weeks, months, and years. Lord, as we um, pursue a fresh work, um, a fresh kingdom work here, and think afresh, God, about how to be faithful, God, I pray that you would just give us opportunities to live out the gospel in courageous, humble, sacrificial ways that show the world how good you are. And I just pray that we might see many men and women come to saving faith in you by being instruments in your hand of your saving grace. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.